Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Well, we're in 2 Corinthians, and we're actually starting chapter 3. And last week we read in 2 Corinthians where Paul was going through a real difficult time in his ministry. And we saw Paul going through the, what I call the struggle of the soul. That is where the mind, will, and the emotions are warring against truth and faith. Do you all go through that occasionally? I go through that like every day. Sometimes several times a day. And things come against me that want to demand my worship, which is my focus. And I have to struggle to stand in the truth. Because standing in the truth does not mean that your emotions are going to be in agreement with truth. Standing in the truth does not mean that your circumstances are going to reflect the truth. Standing in the truth is something that God demands that we do by faith. Well, Paul was going through a struggle of the soul because Paul had watched as the church that he founded had become increasingly carnal. A church that, as I mentioned last week, he'd spent 20 or more months with discipling, literally pouring his life into a group of people that he had fallen in love with as in his ministry. And this fellowship that he loved had turned against him. And what's worse, to a large degree, they had rejected the truth that the Spirit of God had shared through him. So this church was a grief. This church was a burden for Paul. Well, part of the problem was this church had been infiltrated by false teachers and deceivers that were causing divisions and were trying to get them to reject Paul's teaching and his authority. And in the midst of dealing with all of that, Paul is writing this from Ephesus, and he literally gets picked up by a riotous crowd, a mob, thrown into the arena. And you've all read this, I assume. And his life is threatened. He almost lost his life. So Paul writes in verse 5 of chapter 7, and we read this last week, he says, For even when we arrived, he left and went to Macedonia. And he says, even when we arrived in Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. They were weary. But we were oppressed at every turn, conflicts and disputes without, fears and dread within. He couldn't rest. That doesn't mean that he didn't have the opportunity to lay his body down, because there's more to rest than the body, isn't there? He couldn't rest, and he sees the conflicts about him, and, and he is seeing on every turn the oppression that is upon him. But then we see the words, but God. But God, in verse 6, chapter 7. Paul was in the struggle of the soul, a struggle that we all go through in this life over and over again when we're tempted to resign ourselves to circumstances, to our emotions, to the offenses of others, to despair. 
rather than to faith and by faith drawing into the hope and joy that comes from our union life with Christ. And that's really the choice. You see, the choice is not about the reality that we're facing on this planet. The choice is whether or not what we're facing and what we're feeling and what thoughts are passing through our heads are going to be the truth of us. They're going to be the life for us. Or what Christ has done is going to be the truth of us. It's going to be the life of us. That's the choice. It's always the choice. There are only two choices. Everything that you're confronted with in this life right now brings you to that place. That's where Paul was. Then we get to verse 14 of chapter 2 where Paul writes, But thanks be to God who in Christ Jesus always, if you didn't underline that, you ought to, always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory and through us spreads and makes everything evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. And we looked at that last week. And in Christ, we are always being led in celebration of his triumph. Wherever we are in the path of life, wherever we are in the journey that we're on in through the plan of God, that's Ephesians 2.10, we are literally being led in victory. Always. It doesn't mean that when, we, when we're really on top of our game spiritually, it means always. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, it doesn't mean that we won't experience pain or failure or sorrow. It doesn't mean that our circumstances will always be good. It means that victory for us in Christ is ours. And we are to live and walk in the celebration of that victory. There's no other path for us. Hope and joy are not the fruit of circumstance. Now, I've lived a long time believing that they, that they were supposed to be the fruit of circumstance. That they were supposed to be made whole in my emotions. But they're not. Hope and joy are the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the problem. The soul needs the nurture of the Spirit of God. The soul needs the nurture of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is to fill the soul. And if you are allowing the Spirit of God to have preeminence in your mind, will, and emotion, then you are being fed the fruit of the Spirit. Hope is in your soul. Not the hope of this world, but the hope of his presence, the joy of his presence. You see, if we're not being fed through the Spirit of God, we're actually being fed by the nurture of this world, the fruits of the flesh, and leaves our soul in bitterness. Victory for us is Christ. Now we come to the close of chapter 2, and Paul addresses the false teachers right after he says, this is where my victory is. This, is. this is the truth of my situation. It looks dark. It looks oppressive. It looks like everything's against me. But the truth of my life is that I am walking in the victory train. I am literally walking in the triumph of Christ. He is leading me forward. Here's the neat thing, guys. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. It doesn't matter how bad or ominous it looks. We are in the path of God, the triumph train of God himself. 
That's the pathway he has for us. And this is what Paul declares over, over this situation. He says, I don't care what you think about my ministries, if he were to speak to these false teachers. This is where I'm at. I am in the triumph train. And then Paul speaks to these teachers directly or indirectly. In verse 17, he writes, For we are not like so many, like hucksters, making a trade-off, peddling God's word, shortchanging and adulterating the divine message, but like men of sincerity and the purest motive, as commissioned and sent by God, we speak his message in Christ, the Messiah, in the very sight and presence of God. So Paul sets a contrast between those who are sent by God and those who are sent by man, those who are teaching truth and those who are perverting truth. Paul writes, we are not like them, pointing to the false teachers. Our message is pure. Our message has its basis in Christ. We are sent of Christ. And this message is administered by God himself. And that brings us to our text. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Are we starting to commend ourselves again? Or we do not, like some false teachers, need written credentials or letters of recommendation to you or from you, do we? No, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, our credentials, written in your hearts to be known, perceived, recognized, and read by everybody. Now, Paul is being preemptive because he knows that those who had bought into the false teacher's teaching were still in the church, uh, the Fellowship of Corinth, and also some of the false teachers were still hanging about. So he is being preemptive because of the criticism that he'd heard that was being spread by these false teachers. And they were asking questions like, who is Paul? On what authority does he teach and preach and lead? Whose authority? What is his commendation? Where is his letters of recommendation? Why does he have the authority to lead and teach you? And it was a rather silly question to ask concerning the person who had actually founded the church. It was an ancient custom in that time for people to travel with letters of recommendation. Many times they would travel and there would be no inns or hotels or holiday inns or whatever. There wouldn't be any place for them to stay. So they would get a letter of recommendation or commendation from a friend to perhaps one of their friends so they would have a place to stay. They would get a letter from a friend to a relative of that friend for a place to stay, or maybe for help along the way. And they would carry it with them. Teachers and scholars, people that were going to go somewhere and teach and so forth, they would have letters of recommendation or commendation from their leaders. And businessmen, businessmen would carry it letters of recommendation from from their source, from their masters, or from the people who were manufacturing the goods that they were selling. So letters were not uncommon. In fact, they were a bit of a custom for people who were traveling. In fact, you'll remember in Acts chapter 9 that Saul, who later became Paul, had uh, letters from the Jewish leaders before he went down to Damascus to persecute those or arrest those who were following the way, which is the Christians. Now, the false teachers were likely Judaizers. 
And those are guys who typically taught that circumcision and obedience to the Mosaic law were prerequisites to salvation. And these teachers would come with letters from Jerusalem authenticating them as teachers. And Paul says, we have no need for such letters because the commendation of truth, of the truth of our message is written on your hearts. You know the truth. You have the truth. It is written in you by the work of God. You are the, our evidence. You are our commendation. Verse 3 says, you show and make obvious that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, not written with ink. But with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Now, here's the thing. You've heard me say it before. And this, this, is, really good. this is really a big relief for somebody who felt like they had to convince others of, of how they should believe or what they should believe. The truth needs no defense. It doesn't need a defense. If I don't defend gravity, will it go away? I don't think so. If I choose not to believe in gravity, the truth will make itself plain, won't it? Because truth does not change based on whether or not the majority believes it. Truth is truth. And Paul says, you have the truth within you. Now, I know many times I have not known how to explain the presence of Christ in me. I have not known how to illustrate in a way that makes it plain that Christ was in me. But I know the truth. I know he has literally put his life in me. That is the truth of me. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to need to hold to that. You're going to need to hold to that because we're in an age where deception and distortion and corruption are the stay of the day. I mean, it is plain all around us. And people are desperate to try to defend their position. But if your position is in truth, it does not need any defense. Now, if God puts it in your heart to stand up and proclaim the truth, that's something different. You're not there to convince anybody of anything. You are being obedient to the call of God in you. There's a difference. Now, there's something I know any time that I speak before people, that if anything, if the truth is going to affect you, if it's going to have an effect upon you, then you are going to have to accept it. But whether you accept it or reject it doesn't change it. And I can tell you this, those of you who are sitting out there and you hear the truth, you know it's the truth. You may not be able to explain why it's the truth. In fact, your mind may even disagree with me, but at the center of your being, you know it's true. Why? Because if you're a child of God, you have the truth within you. And listen, pastors and teachers and preachers do not put truth in you. The Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God points to the truth that you have or reveals the truth of Christ as your salvation if you're lost. Those are the points of revelation for you. I'm not pouring anything into you. I know it's a popular saying. All I'm doing is yielding to the Spirit of God that He might reveal what He has already poured into you. So... Paul says, you are 
my evidence. You have the truth within you. You see, Paul wasn't saying, well, now remember so-and-so got saved. Remember when so-and-so was surrendered to the missionary field. And how about brother so-and-so led four people to Christ in the middle of that market? And, and that man, I'm telling you that the Spirit of God moved because you could see these things. No, that might be the fruit of the Spirit of God's movement. But the Spirit of God was in these people. And whatever they did by virtue of their obedience to the Spirit of God was the work of the Spirit. It was obedience as God recognizes obedience. Now, Paul, in that verse, verse 3 that we just read, Paul points to the difference between the ministry of the gospel and the law. The Corinthians had the heart of a new creation. Now, notice that it was the letter from Christ. He references the letter from Christ that they just delivered. It wasn't the letter of Paul. It was the letter from Christ. The Corinthians were changed in heart. They possessed a new heart created to know and embrace truth. And Paul begins to contrast that letter or law with the spirit. You have a new heart. If you're a child of God, you have a new heart. Now, here's what the enemy wants to tell you. He's going to tell you that you have to be brilliant to understand the Bible. You have to be passionate about Scripture and Bible study. He's going to tell you that you have to do all of these things to embrace the life that he's given you, that Christ has given you, to be the Christian that he's called you to be. You've got to be interested in all these things. You've got to embrace all these things. You've got to be capable of understanding all these things. God took all that away because it's not what comes from the outside in. It's what comes from the inside out. That's how we learn. He gave you a heart where he literally wrote his character into your DNA. So you know what? I don't love my neighbor because it says so in the word of God. That may sound like blasphemy, but it's not. I love my neighbor because it's who I am. And when I read the word of God, I read it as an affirmation of what God has placed in me. Not as a condemnation that I have to create those things in me. There'd be a lot more people sitting in the pews here today if they could understand what Christ has already affected in them. Church would no longer stand in great contrast to who they believe themselves to be. In fact, being here tonight would affirm who they are. But so many people have listened to the lie of the enemy so long and have allowed him to use their behavior as the bona fides of their need to be something other than what they are. That they're not walking in the victory that Christ has given them by virtue of a brand new life and a brand new heart. This is what Paul is illustrating. He's saying there's a contrast between the letter, the law, and the Spirit. Verse 4. Such is the reliance and confidence that we have through Christ toward and with reference to God. Not that we are fit, qualified, and sufficient in ability of ourselves to form personal judgments or to claim or count anything as coming from us, but our power and ability and sufficiency are from God. Verse 6, it is He who qualified us making us to be fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of a new covenant, 
of salvation through Christ. Not ministers of the letter or legally written code, but of the Spirit. For the code of the law kills, but the Holy Spirit makes alive. Paul declares his confidence in the work of God. He is not confident in his learning. He's not confident in his personality. He's not confident in his eloquence. He's not confident in his relationships with the people or people's ability to receive and love him. He is confident in the ministry of Christ. And quite frankly, it's not about whether or not he's received by the people. It's about his confidence that the Spirit of God will flow through his yielded life and minister to the hearts of the people who are there. That's what he's confident in. I am confident of this, that if there's a single heart moved here tonight, it'll be because the Spirit of God moved them. That if there is a single revelation had in the soul of anyone here tonight, it's a revelation from the Spirit of God. It's not just a new way of looking on things. I am confident of this, that if you see yourself as you are in Christ, and you see Him as He is, as your Savior and your life, there will be a... Revelation that is brought to you by the Spirit of God, not by the message. And you know what? Why would anybody want to minister any other way? Why? I don't. If we got to get up in front of people in the confidence of the flesh and in the confidence of knowledge, then we're not giving them anything that they don't already have. We're just pouring flesh on top of flesh, and I'm encouraging you to know God according to the flesh, and I'm not about to do that. I can't know God according to the flesh. Why would I encourage you to? Paul's confident of the ministry of the Spirit. He had all those things. He had the education. He had the bona fides to stand up and talk about the law. He had the reputation, but they were not ministry. Listen, you are ministers. Because you are the body of Christ. And let me tell you how that works. Christ is ministry. And ministry is Christ. That's it. Christ is ministry. And ministry is Christ. Paul writes after he lists out his pedigree, his education, his learning, his reputation. He writes, yes, furthermore... I count everything as compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully. For his sake, I have lost everything and consider it all to be rubbish refuse, dregs, in order that I may win, gain Christ the Anointed One. You know what? I am not up here for the flesh of man. I'm not up here for my flesh. I am up here because I am going to be obedient to what the Spirit of God has called me to do. In obedience, I gain the affirmation of His life, of His presence, of His Working through me. That's why. That's the only reason we should do anything. And Paul says it is so much greater to be able to embrace the intimacy that I have with Christ than to be able to impress men with what I know. Because listen, what I know about 
has never saved me from a single thing. What I know about has not brought a single bit of joy to my life. What I know about has not demonstrated peace in my life. Knowing is not the key. Intimacy with him as life is the key. Embracing your union life with him is the key. In verse 6, Paul says, my qualifications are in Christ. It is he who has made us fit dispensers of the new covenant. Only the life of Christ is qualified to minister the new covenant. And only a new creation can manifest Christ's life and ministry. Let me tell you something. Do you know what the new covenant is? It's very complicated. It's Jesus. It's based in him. It is by him and through him. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.